Welcome back to Radio Entrepreneurs. This is part three of the April 2021 coronavirus panel, uh, family business panel discussion sponsored by the FBA. Uh, this is part three, as I've mentioned, and parts uh, one and two will be linked in the video description below. If you're listening on the podcast, please head over to those previous segments so that you can listen to the entire conversation there. Our panelists today are Rich Hershen, partner at Gray Gray and Gray, Stephen Wilchins, founding partner at Wilchins, Cosentino and Novins, and Roberta Sidney, president of Sydney Associates. And our moderator and our uh, radio entrepreneur's host and CEO of Mage LLC is Jeffrey Davis. Jeffrey, I'll now hand the conversation over to you for this uh, third segment on entitlement and compensation within family businesses. Well, I also want to say that Rich Hirschen was uh, a founding member and his firm of the Family Business Association was very involved for many years. Steve Wilchins was the president of FFI, the Family Firm Institute, which is a national organization. Uh, and Roberta Sidney uh, comes from one of the more complicated families I've ever seen. A uh, very dynamic and rich family. Rich, not in terms, uh, I'm not saying in terms of finances, but rich in terms of content uh, and very passionate family. Uh, very fortunate to have met you know, her, her father and her mother. Uh, very special people uh, in, in the world. And Roberta has a lot of experience. But you know, the last topic that we're going to be talking about is entitlement and compensation. We could do a seminar on both of them, entitlements and compensation. But you know, um, maybe maybe three of us, maybe Steve and I would never be employed if there wasn't entitlement and compensation issues in companies. And so maybe it's worked to our advantage over our career to, be, to get ourselves immersed in these things. But it's so hard to deal with these subjects and I'm not gonna predispose to you too much, but you know, what strategies do you think you need to address in influencing a family uh, you know, that's having, let's say, compensation issues you know, and, and entitlement issues? I, I know it's not, you, know, you maybe don't expect that, but I mean, how would you address some of these issues yourself? And what have you seen? I would tell the person to look in the mirror and figure out, are you really entitled to it? Do you believe in what you're worth? And reality, try to get them to understand reality. Um, especially when, you know, they're not reasonable, they're not practical, and they're just not within the guidelines of the business. And I think a hard conversation is important quickly and not to wait months later and let it fester. I think it needs to be addressed immediately. I think one of the things that we help with that is having either a compensation committee or hiring an outside compensation expert to, to come in and help with that, doing surveys and things like that. So you have something besides one family member saying to another, I don't think your salary is appropriate. Um, when you can get some outside support, I think it makes those conversation, conversations much easier. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with everything um, that you've said, and I sit on several, I chair one and sit on another compensation for family businesses other than my own. And uh, it is a complicated conversation for sure. And not just setting the compensation, but then now you get into the end of year incentive conversation and what, you know, what did each person deliver if there's more than one family member in the business? And how can the comp committee judge them effectively and, and be transparent <clears throat> about what is being rewarded and why? 
So I think it's, it is important to have outsiders and whether it's on the board or with comp consultants or the comp committee, all, all of that I think are, are essential to it. And if you do have entitlement, uh, I, you know, I've got to agree, <laughs> you've got to address it. You can't just pretend it's not there. The other thing I would say is with COVID-19, this year, this past year that we've been through has pointed out how important succession planning has been and coming up with a plan B for business continuity, which allows people to get clearer about things like, well, what is the compensation for this role? If God forbid something happened to person A, family member, and we needed to bring someone in, you know, would we be paying twice what they're being paid? Would we be paying half what they're being paid? I think these are all great ways to have that conversation and take the emotion out of it. Well, I'm, I'm going to throw two uh, experiences uh, at the three of you and say that uh, so many times I see families compensated on personal need where families are paid based upon the overhead or the homes they've bought and the kids that they want in private schools. And that one really is a killer because there's hard to roll back. Right. And I don't know what your thoughts are on that. And I'm going to add another one. I was on a compensation committee for a large company. I thought it was a large company with the, with the president of a bank. And we went out and did a compensation review. And after we were done, two of the family members didn't talk to us for two years. They were so offended by the compensation report. Uh, Rich is smiling. <laughs> you may know who I'm talking about. So what do you do? Here's a compensation committee and then there's personal need. How do you break those log jams? I mean, these things can go on for years and decades at some time. Uh, you know, what would you do in that situation? Um, maybe I'll put it to Steve because you're an attorney. And let well, Roberta I, fall back on it because she had a family. I think part of it is make, you know, stopping it at some point and saying, listen, it's not about what you need to support your lifestyle. It's about what the business, what are the contributions you're making to the business and to the extent you're making valid and you know wonderful contributions to the business then you should be compensated both in salary and and bonuses and you know stock etc so i think at some point they need to be told this not 30 years later when the leader of the company is just about ready to retire it needs to be done you know on an annual basis and this takes a lot of time and effort. It takes a huge amount of time to be working on these items. And it's just as important as generating a sale or generating, you know, dealing with the vendor. It's very important. And it all needs to be looked at in a package to make this business successful. And Roberta, you've dealt with compensation. I know also, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. Yeah, well, I, I've got, you know, it's hard. It's hard because if the, if the culture has been one of we pay women the same or if one person needs more, we're going to, you know, all the boats are going up without regard to contribution of the individuals or without regard to what the business can actually afford, it will ultimately destroy enterprise value. So it is, it is an important thing to recognize. Um, that being said, I do think that you have to do it. And if you're, so, so in my case now, I'm sort of the independent board member. 
And I have to truth to power where I'm representing the shareholders. I'm not representing the employees. I'm representing the shareholders. And if what they want is more money, then I would say, well, then the way to do that is through your ownership, not through your employment. Because if your employment should generate X, the real way to do it is to, is to have a business that's more profitable. So you as an owner and in every other owner is able to get more from this business. So that's where I would separate out those, those two as part of the conversation, because it shouldn't just be, well, I work here and I should be able to take whatever I want from the piggy bank because I work here and I need it. I'm glad you brought up the piggy bank thing. Uh, Steve and I have experienced that. This, this, and I know Rich has as well where people treat their business like a personal piggy bank, which you've seen it a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can't do it. it it's, <laughs> I think as Roberta said, right, keep an eye on the enterprise value of the company. And, and the goal here is to run a successful, profitable um, company, not to just, you know, buy your boats or second homes or whatever it is you want. And so, you know, I, I think it's, you pay a reasonable salary, um, get everyone aligned so that they can all be focused on having a really good year for the company. And if the company has a great year, there'll be year-end incentive payments to, to pay to people and they can use that to buy their, their toys. Um, but you can't just keep robbing the company. It, it won't work in the long term. Right. But then it has to be treated fairly both in family and non-family. Sure. Okay. To make sure that there's an understanding um, and also what role they're playing and what compensation they expect based on that role. I mean, you know, a third year person coming in thinks that they need a huge bonus just because of X just doesn't work that way. They need to understand the role and the contributions they're making to the company to create the value. Um, and then they should be rewarded appropriately as time goes on. Yeah. Right. You know, I think part of that can be, you know, good goal setting um, at the beginning of the year. So everyone knows what they need to focus on and everyone can be working, you know, in the same direction to accomplish things. And if goals are accomplished, the company should have a good year and then people can be uh, compensated appropriately. But the compensation isn't nine tenths for the family and one tenth for the employees. I think honestly, and being straightforward and being equitable and fair to everyone needs to be considered in this enterprise to make it effective. I agree. And you know, if you're not getting what you need from the business, you can't then go around to your parents, let's say, right. and get extra compensation that way too. There's no backdoor compensation either. I'm not a fan of the backdoor compensation plan either. I think there has, you have to look, I, I like the way Roberta sees it. It's clear you're treating it like a business. Right. So, you know, it's something I've noticed a lot more uh, over the last year, sadly. Uh, I've, I've always noticed a diminishing capacity of leaders, family leaders within a business. And maybe they're the last ones to know uh, because they're working and they want to stay working. Usually they are the last ones to know. But during COVID, the crisis, the stress of COVID on family business, leaders who cannot handle the stress, the risk, uh, family business leaders who have had COVID, who have COVID fog and deny COVID fog. Uh, this whole area of diminished capacity, 
I don't know how, you know, how would you, all of you look at this? Because this is an issue I do see almost in multiple family businesses. I've dealt with it almost across the board with family businesses, holding yeah. on for an extended period of time until I, death. I think some of that is advanced, you need advanced planning and mitigation of risk and understanding what your corporate governance documents are. That needs to be updated, anticipating that issue. Also, your succession documents, as well as your estate plan, especially if you're a majority shareholder of a company, and who your fiduciaries are. All that is important to put it into place. So if there is a diminished, if you have a person that has a diminished capacity, you know, that the company won't suffer and there's a nice exit strategy for the person that really can't handle it anymore. I think the the harder part, and I agree with everything you just said, Stephen, is if the person won't recognize and won't relinquish the reins, and that is that is harder. Um, my sense, and I, there's, there's a great book. I don't recall the title, but there's a great book about how you you have to think about what's next for you. And so, as a leader, when when I decided no longer to be the the business operator and transition to the next generation, I had something I was going towards. And oftentimes what, what happens with people who don't want to let go is they have nothing forward to or to jump to. And so I think that's an important element as well. And again, maybe it's the board, maybe it's advisors who can play an instrumental role for that, whether it's an aging leader or an ailing leader um, who just needs to step aside and let the next generation, whether it's family or non-family, take take on and take over. And it's, it's hard. It's hard if, if someone isn't ready to go, but I think it's, it's often necessary. I don't know. What do you see about this one, Rich? Do you see this often? I see it. it it's, I agree with you. It's really a, a hard thing to do. Um, you know, I have seen many times where the person kicking and screaming and doesn't want to leave. And then they finally do leave and they kind of come back and saying, why didn't I do this years ago? Um, so sometimes it's almost training the person um, that there is life after work and there are other things in life and sort of, you know, trying to take that route. But, but it can be really tough, um, you know, especially when it's, you know, a first generation and it's the founder and this company is their baby um, and they're doing that. The other thing that can help is really having good qualified people to take over the company, whether that's, you know, children or, you know, other relatives or outsiders and having uh, the right management team in place to, to take that over. I think that can add comfort that the, um, you know, person leaving has trust that the next generation can, can run the company the way he or she has. All right, Rich, I just also want to interject if I may. So there's a distinction between a leader who is not effective anymore because say the aging process just normally versus someone who has diminished capacity. And the person that Roberta mentioned of the diminished capacity, it's too late for that person to realize that they should step down. So what one needs to understand is to implement the strategies before that, okay, legally, and, and make sure you know, the estate planning documents are done, the fiduciaries that would play those roles, as well as the corporate governance is all in place. So when someone is diminished, unfortunately, there's a, you know, 
it could be handled properly because you'll never get that person to step down really. And it's 10 years later and that person is still there. I think you're right. You know, I, being a, some, a consultant, uh, it's easier said than done, Steve, as you right. know, because when someone's on their game, they don't think it's time to plan it. And when they're off their game, they don't see it and they don't want to let go and they hold on for a hard time. And I've had too many families come to me and say, my dad, my dad is being more disruptive than helping, helping. I've heard it more about dads and mothers just from that generation, that age group, it tended to be more dads than mothers of that age group. But my dad's not capable of doing that. But Rich, you know, just I'm giving you a little bit of credit. You Gray, Gray and Gray, it's a big firm as far as I'm concerned used to be a family business. I don't necessarily consider it a family business anymore. You went from that transition from being a, a family accounting firm to a professionally run service firm. So it's, it even happens in, in, in service firms as well, correct? Yeah, no, that's right. We started the, um, the three grays were, were three brothers um, that founded the firm. And then uh, they actually had a son-in-law involved in the business who ran the firm. But you know, over time, as the firm grew, I think that the family recognized that you know, we can grow this firm and, and make it better by having non-family members. And then, you know, leaders rise up and they came and, um, you know, the family was, uh, you know, saw that there were better ways to do this and, and also didn't have next generations that, that wanted to get involved. So yeah, it happens at a lot of businesses, um, you know, but I think it's just training the next generation to take over, whether that be family members or non-family members. Was there, a, was there an event that sort of caused a, a change in attitude was, or is it something that just happened over time? Um, I think it, it just happened over time. Um, you know, as there are three brothers that, that started the company, but only one of the next generation that was in business. So, you know, that, that one person who was in the next generation needed some help and uh, that came as non-family members. So I think it just sort of evolved over time. Roberta, you- how did it happen? I'm sorry. Uh, Roberta, too, you know, I, I don't want to, I hope it's okay to say, you know, your father ran the family business. He was a very strong, dynamic intellectual, as far as I was concerned. Uh, but he had failing health. And uh, did it happen over time? I know you had, I know you know most of the consultants that do this work around New- in New England. You've experienced all of us. So, what are your thoughts about this? For us, it was uh, the opposite of the way Rich described it. It was, um, it was sort of not, not tumultuous, but it was. It was. It, there was a moment in time. There was sort of an event that occurred. You know, I call it the medical event that really changed things in terms of before where he was able to function and after where he was unable to function, and. There wasn't, there wasn't a need to argue or cajole or encourage because he just wasn't there mentally, uh, emotionally more than, I mean, it wasn't, you know, he didn't die from, from the medical event. He's gone now, but, but it wasn't an event that killed him. It was, it was more just, it really changed his ability to function. And so it, it was sudden, it was, it was unplanned. Um, and I think it's the opposite of the good practices that Stephen talks about, which is to have everything in place in advance so that then you've got a playbook to execute. There was nothing in place. 
my father didn't even have disability insurance. He barely had life insurance. I mean, there was so many things that weren't in place at that time that subsequently I helped get in place. That was, that was very good to protect him and to protect my mom, who's, who's thankfully still with us. But, but all of that good planning, as Stephen says, when you're feeling great, you don't want to do it. And then when you need it, <laughs> you haven't done it. Uh, so that's, that's how it occurred for us. And um, I would say with the family businesses that I'm, that I'm part of now, as a board member, I've been really encouraging them to be, to be planners and, and be ready for something as opposed to have it happen to them. I mean, I was working for State Street Global Advisors at the time. It wasn't, I wasn't involved in the business day-to-day at all when this happened. So it was, it was a real unplanned event. Not, not ideal, not ideal. All right, Roberta, I commend you for that because one of our role as advisors is to really remind them not just send an email or just remind them and constantly remind them to get them to prioritize this. And it's, a, it's an act that you have to, you, you acquire over time, but once you have their confidence and trust, you'll be able to get them to move off this and to start planning. Well, this has been a robust subject and uh, we've uh, used our a lot of time. I'm just wondering if anybody wants to make any closing comments, we can go around the, uh, Hollywood squares, uh, you know, I'll start because you were, uh, Rich, is there anything you'd like to say in closing? I think it was John Kennedy said, the time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining. And I think that goes a lot of these family business um, things that, you know, there, there will be things that come up in any family business and as proactive as you can be to have some rules and agreements and all these different things we've discussed in place and getting them in place when the going's good, um, it is, is a good idea. Great. Um, Roberta? Um, I would definitely uh, double down on what Rich just said. And I would also say to treat everything as a process and that this is a living process to have a family business and that it needs to evolve over time. So not just plan when the sun is out, but also plan for change. No one wants to be a buggy whip manufacturer today but those people who ran the buggy whip manufacturing company might be still in business today doing something very different. And so it's important to think about the, the long-term and think about how a business can evolve and change, keeping the values, keeping the culture, keeping something from the past, but evolving into, into the future and dealing with whatever comes, including COVID-19. I would, I agree with Rich and Roberta have said, I think there's no magic to it. It's basic planning, thinking about it, thinking about the future, anticipating issues, um, and working on it very hard. You know, it's a hard work and it's tough conversations, but it's well worth it. And I just want to leave with, you know, I thought the branding of gray, gray, and gray as a family business moving to something else where it's the gray cubed or to the third, I think is brilliant. So you, you have to have that logo there, Rich. Yeah, and we do have an updated logo that my marketing people are probably upset with me. I think that's brilliant, changing it from a family business to, you know, more than that. So it's wonderful. Look at that. He follows your marketing, Rich. What more do you want? I know. It's fantastic. So thank you. Uh, 
I just want to say also, you know, I, I would almost repeat verbatim what everybody said, especially Roberta, you know, businesses are living organisms and, you know, as they change, they put a great amount of pressure on family and the relationship. And, you know, you need to put in structures in place to deal with that dynamic change, but you need a team of a lot of different people to help you from the outside. This is an example of a multidisciplinary team here in our panel and you need a multidisciplinary team. There is no one sort of savior for a family business. And in today's complicated world, you need a lot of, a lot of help to get to where you need to go. I appreciate having this panel. I appreciate all of you taking the time. We're hopefully we're gonna have you back again in the next quarter of our family business segment. But I'm gonna turn it over to Nathan Gobes, the producer of Radio Entrepreneurs at this time. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Roberta. Thank you, Steve. This was a great conversation. Uh, if anybody missed parts one and two, obviously go check those out. There'll be links in the description below uh, for, in the video link. Uh, if you're watching, if you're listening on Spotify or any of the other podcast channels, please uh, check out those previous postings. Uh, be sure to follow us. Radio Entrepreneurs is on many channels, obviously our website, radioentrepreneurs.com, but also uh, as I said, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and obviously YouTube as well. We'll be having uh, many more conversations, uh, both related to family business and to uh, other, other conversations about uh, entrepreneurship on our channel. So be sure to subscribe and uh, we will see you next time on Radio Entrepreneurs.